you're also making them feel like uh, they've been heard. And to be honest, that's the most important thing. You can get almost everything else wrong, but if they feel that you understood them and you get them and you sympathize with them, it all becomes so much easier. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I have Adam Hempenstall with us, and he's going to be teaching us about automating signature grabbing sales proposals. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. So by, by way of introduction for our listeners, uh, Adam Hebenstahl is the founder and CEO of Better Proposals, a software that automates the process of creating effective proposals, which obviously everyone in sales has to do. Um, Adam's software has led to over $500 million of sales won using, uh, using his product, Better Proposals, in the last year. That's, that's an impressive stat, Adam. Uh, it's probably a bit higher than that now. That's <laughs> a bit of an old stat, but yeah, uh, at least that. Very cool. Well, um, first of all, what challenges did you see in the proposal space that led you to create better proposals? Um, well, it mainly really just came about because we had that problem. You know, we we ran a software company that, um, you know, we would go in and and ask a million different questions, do our discovery like any good salesperson should, and we come away with pages and pages of notes and then have to somehow turn that into a proposal. And it was always a challenge. It was always, it wasn't difficult, it was just a pain. And it was slow and it was laborious and we wanted to do the exciting stuff. So it, it was, it, we knew that we weren't the only people that had this problem because it was something that, you know, we, we spoke about with other people that also had these issues. So we just started building something for ourselves. I mean, it was just an internal tool just to try to sort of take our notes and make that into, you know, a proposal a lot quicker than it would have taken otherwise, um, which led us down the route of presenting it as a web-based document rather than sort of a paper-shaped thing that happened to be a PDF or whatever. And that was it. So we just built this thing as an internal tool and then just developed it and developed it and developed it until... One day we got to a point where we were including it in the CRM software that we were building and then selling. And it just got to a stage where the tipping point and the reason for people buying was they wanted the proposal tool that happened to have a CRM with it. I'm like, this isn't, this wasn't the idea, but okay, let's roll with it. Um, and then at one point we just sort of got to a point where we're thinking, okay, well, there's the scalability in this business is just simply not there, but this proposal thing, maybe, maybe there's something to that. So we just built a quick landing page, threw up some ads, um, you know, very bad and got more leads in 24 hours than we had in the previous 12 months with the other business. So we were like, mm -hmm. okay, be smart enough to know you're getting lucky. And we started the process of transitioning from, from the sort of software consultancy um, into, into running better proposals full time. Very cool. Um, well, and that makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, you know, salespeople spend a ton of time putting together proposals and it's a, it's a laborious process. What, what are the most important parts of a proposal and, uh, how do you, how do you make those important parts better? Um, I think the most important part is the introduction or the executive summary or overview or whatever part of it is that you're saying, this is the problem that you have. These are all the things that you told me that you wanted to improve and this is what you want to achieve. So whatever part of your proposal that is, that is the most important part. And I think you should go at the beginning. Um, get that bit wrong and the whole thing's an uphill struggle. Mm -hmm. The whole thing's an uphill struggle. But if you get that bit right, then you can almost get everything else wrong, but you've at least understood, or you've shown them that you've understood um, you know, that they're, they're issues. And that is fundamentally the most important part. And that's the bit that's so easy to get right as well. And it's so commonly got wrong. So, you know, a simple thing to do is just make sure you do just do your discovery right. So ask the right questions, keep digging into why, make sure that you're fully, fully, fully understanding exactly what it is that they're trying to achieve, what the cost of not achieving that is, what's the cost of standing still, what's the cost of doing it in your old way, you know, what, to stand to gain by, by changing this thing. Dig into all of this stuff. You don't have to use it all, but if you've got it, then, then that's good. 
And one little thing I would say is just always push past that, just that part where it starts to feel a little bit uncomfortable, like you're digging into their personal reasons for doing something. That is, that's where you're going to find all the gold. And that's, if you can get to that part and it's all still good and you can make notes on that, that's, that's the perfect introduction. Um, the other part is actually asking for the, the sale and providing clear instructions on exactly how to proceed. It's incredible to me how many proposals I've sent over the years where people have no end. Like, where is it? You know, where's the, where's the bit where I'm like, okay, cool, here's the next steps and this is what I need to do next. It's just mm -hmm. never there. So those two things are probably the, the, the biggest parts of your proposal. Um, everything else is kind of negotiable. You can get that a little bit wrong, get some of it a bit better than others. But if you get those two bits right, then you're always going to stand yourself in good stead. That makes a ton of sense. Um, could you give an example of an effective proposal introduction? Um, can you just kind of walk, walk through how you would do it? So, okay, so let's just take a simple example and let's just say that somebody is, um, I don't know, a flooring company, um, you know, small business and you're a web designer or a marketer and you're going to go in and you're going to try and effectively sell them a new website or a new lead generation tool. Um, the way that you're going to tr try and do this is, first of all, ask them, you want to know things like, you know, how much is your average order value? you how many leads you're getting at the moment how many of those are you converting how are you typically talking to these people you know how much time does it take how many slip through the net how many do you not bother getting back to how many long does it take you to get back to these people all these questions and then when it comes to writing the introduction you can just reframe all of this stuff back so you'll ask them things like you know what's your ideal scenario okay well my ideal scenario is I'm doing 10 grand of profit a month okay how much is your average order value? Well, it's two grand. Okay, how much of that is profit? A thousand. Right, so you need 10 sales. That's, that's it. It's, it's simple. So you start to just work the maths back. And it's easy with um, you know, marketing, lead gen, all that kind of stuff because you've got the numbers to work with. Other industries and other things, a little bit more complicated, but the same principle still holds. If you can find a way of doing that, then you know, you're, you're always going to find that your introduction almost writes itself. But... Um, it's difficult to kind of think off the top of my head, like how it would read, because it really does depend exactly on their scenario. But the kinds of things you'd want to be saying are, you know, this is your goal. Your goal is to get to 10,000 a month profit, um, from, from sales. This means you need to make on average 10 sales. Um, you are converting one in five, which means you need 50 leads at the moment. You're doing six. Do you, do you see what I mean? So you, you're mm -hmm. stating all these things and you're making it seem simple to them. And mm -hmm. you're also making them feel like you've heard, uh, they've been heard. And that's, to be honest, that's the most important thing. You can get almost everything else wrong, but if they feel that you understood them and you get them and you sympathize with them and all that kind of stuff, it all becomes so much easier. Um, but what I wouldn't do is make that introduction an about us section. It's not about you. It's just about explaining their problem, what they want out of it, and literally that's it. That's great advice, um, and and I, I totally see why you why why your first point was the introduction is the most important part of a proposal. Uh, if you're customizing it, making it all about them, and showing them the value of what you what you do for them from their perspective and, and putting things in their numbers, it, it really, it, it makes the, the rest of the proposal resonate so much more because it's already for them. Well, yeah, and it's, it's about, it's about making them feel good. You know, they've got to feel like the thing with the proposal that people don't understand is that there's questions that people will ask you. So it'd be like, you know, maybe, um, you know, how long is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? Uh, are you going to be working on this or are you going to be delegating it? These are simple questions and people happily ask these questions, but some questions people don't ask, like what happens if I send you this money and you don't do anything? What happens right. if you take over my website and then everything goes dead? What happens if you go out of business? What happens if you make it worse for me? What happens if I lose my house? Mm -hmm. What happens if it starts straining my family or my relationships. Mm -hmm. These questions people can't ask because it's kind of inappropriate to ask them because mm -hmm. why would it be connected? But of course it's connected. In a small business world, that is definitely connected. 
is definitely connected. Big corporate, different story. But if you're selling to a small business, that is very, very relevant stuff. But they can't ask those questions. So in the proposal, you have to try and subtly answer them. So it, people sometimes think that guarantees are a bad thing to put in proposals. I would never send a proposal without a guarantee in it. Even, mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a simple money back guarantee, but it can be, what are you guaranteeing? What, what is it, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, social proof, massive, massive. However, you can include any kind of social proof or evidence that you've done this before and you do what you say you're going to do, massive. So sympathize and empathize with their situation and how scary it is to make a purchasing decision. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, you're a, if you're a buyer and you buy things on a regular basis, you will understand this and this makes sense because you go through this all the time. But if you don't do this regularly and you're not constantly buying things, it's really hard to understand how much pressure there is on making a choice, which mm -hmm. company to go for, which level to buy at, all these kinds of things. So that's just, um, you know, that's, that's just something, but just, you know, really, really try and put yourself in their position. Absolutely. So tell me, what, why is it important for businesses and sales teams to automate their sales proposal processes? Um, well, I don't think the whole process can be fully automated. I think you can automate parts of it mm -hmm. or semi-automate parts of it. And I think the real reason that you do that is because every minute that you're spending doing something stupid, like make your text line up on one page so it doesn't go onto a second page, you have one line of text there, mm -hmm. that's a waste of time. You're as a salesperson or as, you know, as a sales rep or a consultant or whatever, however you sort of see yourself, you have to be doing the thing that you are best at and formatting a document to sit right on a piece of paper is not a good use of a human's time. A human does something that computers can't and that's care. Mm -hmm. It's care. It's think it's, you know, really put yourself in that other person's position and be able to sort of communicate ideas. And that's what humans can do better than anybody. So if you have an hour to do a proposal, you do not want to be spending 45 minutes of it mucking it about trying to make it look nice and 15 right. thinking what to say. You want to spend as much of that time thinking, how can I make this the perfect proposal and not worry about the design and all that kind of stuff. So when you've got that part of it handled and you don't have to think about whether it's on brand, whether your logo looks nice, whether you know the, the, the colors look right and all that kind of stuff, when that stuff is already handled for you it means you can do what you're best at um and i think getting that balance right and just shifting it back towards doing more of the human stuff and less of the things that computers and systems are good at i think is um is a good time investment um that's that's worth undertaking i think makes sense um what, what about as a team how, how can a business owner or a, or a sales manager keep track of their entire sales team's um, uh, proposal processes and, and, and progress there? Um, good question. Um, if there's one thing that salespeople are known for, it's doing things their own way, going rogue, and, uh, and generally being a bit of a nuisance. We've all been there. Um, I think it starts by having systems in place. That's where it starts because that gives you the technology and the technical ability to do things like keep an eye on people, make sure that, you know, all of the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and all that kind of stuff. It's the, it's the starting point for getting this stuff together. Um, where a system, for instance, uh, like Better Proposals comes in is you can see exactly uh, what your team's up to, who's selling the most, who's got, the, who's got what conversion rate, who's got this outstanding um, but then deeper than that, things like, you know, who's, who's getting all their proposals opened or who's not getting their proposals opened. So you mm -hmm. can start to do this. And as a sales manager, you can start to think, okay, well, how is my team doing generally, which is good, but also how are these guys doing or how are these guys and girls doing against each other? And that can start to create some nice sort of internal competition, which is a really, really good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but also it means that you can start to help people that maybe are struggling a little bit. So if you see that John is getting, you know, 10 out of 10 of his proposals opened, and read and you know Andy isn't and he's you know he's sent 10 and only three of them have been opened you can you can sort of think okay well why is that happening oh right you have put something really strange in the subject line and they're not being opened or 
mm-hmm. you know, you, you, your, your email's really bad or whatever it is. So just little things like that that just, as Peter Drucker said, whatever gets measured gets managed. And, sure. you know, you've, you've, with a sales management position, you've really got to sort of take that to heart. And, you know, conversion rates, open rates on your proposals, what, what's getting read, what's getting ignored, what's getting, you know, opening it up, looking at the price, closing it down again. That's a massive one. You know, if you've got one salesperson that's having that happen too frequently, what are they doing that's, that's different to some of the other guys and girls where are they maybe giving the price away too early? Are they not building enough value in? What's the, what's the scenario? But as I say, once you've got a system in place, then you can start getting everybody working off the same thing. So instead of everybody working off hacked up Word documents and doing things with Google Docs and everybody using their own thing and having this sort of, almost like this weird document version of Chinese whispers going on, you end up with everybody starting from the same point every single time. So everyone starts from the same template, the same piece of content. If somebody's written something really good that's working well, it gets saved to the global content library and everybody can use that same thing. So it all then becomes about helping each other out as well as just sort of like working on your own stuff and you know, furthering your own numbers. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for sales managers to keep their sales teams using these types of productive practices? Um, I think you just have to believe in the tools. You have to trust the tools. And once you can, if you can communicate the value to your reps of having a system like this in place, then, you know, it's, it's, it makes your life easier because you've got a system that can effectively do half your job for you by managing your guys. You can get your reports on you know, a weekly basis, monthly basis, whatever it is. Um, but in a way, it's about selling this to your reps. If you can sell it to your reps and you can get them on board with it, and you can, which is not a particularly difficult thing to do, then everybody's using it. And now you're just getting the benefit, you're the beneficiary of just that really good reporting. So mm-hmm. sell the concept to them. And then once you've done that, then, then the rest is easy. So we've kind of covered the, the, the parts that, you know, managing it better and, and getting visibility into your sales team. We've, we've talked about the, the pieces of the proposal process that can be automated. What about the pieces that can't be automated? What about the, what about the parts that, uh, that you need to gather information from the customer to, to include the right things in your proposal, the, the, the human side, talk about that. What are the ways you can make, what, what, what are the ways you can make that best and do that best so you can make your proposal really great? So I don't think this is a proposal skill. I think this is a, um, a discovery skill. Um, but when you're in a meeting or doing your discovery, however you do it, get yourself a system in place with, um, with a needs analysis questionnaire. This is something that um, some people swear by, some people don't like it. Personally, I didn't because I was writing the proposals myself and I always just preferred to just enjoy the meeting and get really, really, really invested in it. But I would always bring somebody along with me to go through that needs analysis and write the stuff down when I hit on it. So, you know, having done, I don't know, three, four, 500 sales meetings in my life before that, um, it became much, much easier for me to just mentally navigate through that questionnaire. I didn't need it in front of me. Mm-hmm. So I could enjoy the conversation and get fully, fully invested in it instead of going, what is your favorite color? And then, you know, writing it down. It was, that's... <laughs> The connection wasn't really there. So I was like, let's just enjoy that and then bring somebody else along who can then go through and go, oh, okay, right, he's gone all the way over here, fine, but I'll write the answer down and then oh, he's gone back up here again. So I never liked doing that. So I just built a system around my own weakness, if you like, and put a, put a process in place. But look, if you've got a good needs analysis in, in place, then every single sales scenario is the same, or at least it's it starts out the same. And then you can just sort of go from there. So when you've got your needs analysis down and you can do, there's, um, there's apps on the iPad. I mean, I, I never use them, but there's apps on the iPad and things like that where you can put your needs analysis in and then just, you know, you fill all the answers in and then it just sends you an email with the notes on it. And it's just a case of copy and paste. Um, mm-hmm. That's little things like that. It's a super simple thing, but you know, that can make such a big difference. We, instead of having to rewrite everything um, in, in your proposal tool, but it's a simple little thing, but I would say just get organized from the, on the discovery side of things. And then once you've got that down, then the proposal side of it, straightforward. The other thing, do it quickly. Um, don't muck around with it. If you do it quick, you can remember stuff. 
if you leave in four or five days, then you just forget loads of things. So, yeah, you know, do, doing it fast is so it's, it's so underrated. Yeah. Uh, being organized and, and staying on top of things is, is absolutely key for, for so much of sales, which is one of the reasons it's such a hard job. Um, well, the other, what thing, the other is, reason you want to do it as well, I'm sorry. No, um, the other reason you want to do it as well is because it actually helps conversions quite considerably as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we have conducted a couple of reports uh, from real data from our actual customers. Um, so we've aggregated it all. We, we, we kind of just went, okay, look, what converts better? So people can do different things with, with our platform. So we just started asking questions like, proposals that were created and sent within a 24 hour period, how all other things being equal, did they convert better than ones that were sent after say three to four days or two to three days. And it Mm -hmm. turns out that in 2017 report, I think it was 25% higher conversion rate. If you sent your proposal in 24 hours, 25% higher. Makes a Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Honestly. Um, Um, You know, people, people forget things that they, they, things become less important. Things kind of drift down on their on their importance scale. Um, makes sense. Well, what's what do you think is more important for a sales team to be efficient or to be effective? I think effective because at the end of the day, you can be really efficient, but if what you're doing at the end of it doesn't get any results, then being efficient doesn't really get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say always, always being more effective, I think. But I definitely think there's a lot to be said for being efficient because, you know, if you're running around, you've got everything on paper and you've got no idea what you're doing, you're all over the place, how can you do a good job? It's almost mm-hmm. impossible. So I, I kind of feel like the two go hand in hand. Um, I think if you take a really inefficient person, they're probably going to be really ineffective as well and vice versa. Um, that's how you dodge an answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it makes sense. I mean, yeah. uh, and, and how much time do you think a salesperson should spend on writing a proposal? What, what, what's, the, what's the level of effort that should go in here? Well, I think it really depends on what you're selling. So if you are selling a 5,000 pound website, I wouldn't want to spend more than 45 minutes to an hour on it, maximum maximum mm-hmm. you that's such a repeatable thing you should have that down to sort of 15 minutes really right um you know if it's really worth it and it's you're doing two a month three a month you know to, to, to take sort of 45 minutes on that is fine but you know if you're selling a fifty thousand pound um piece of software for instance um an hour is probably not going to cut it you probably need to spend a little bit more time on that or maybe you'd split that up into two different documents maybe mm-hmm. one would be a um, selling the concept of it with a price range and then you'd have you know, a statement of work or a technical proposal which would be a lot more of the details and then that would that would break things down even further and then get you sort of final number from there so I don't know I mean it's it does really depend on what you're selling but what I would say is I think people spend a hell of a lot more time on proposals than they should do but I think they also spend a lot more time on the areas that they shouldn't and I think that's where fundamentally the problem is and how much time would you say on average, whether you need to have a, a heavyweight proposal or a lightweight proposal, how much time on average would you say a automation tool like Better Proposals will save salespeople? That's a really good question. I, you've actually given me a really good idea for next year's report, actually, is to, is <laughs> to look at how much, you know, the average amount of time. I mean, it, it's, it's so difficult to say. I can't give you a number because I don't, I don't have that, that data to hand. Um, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting thought to, to, to bring up and it's definitely something we could look at in a, in a future report for sure. Yeah. It's kind of like the, having a tool can make things, give you a superior result so it can mm-hmm. make, make the result better or, or having a, a tool can, can save you time. And, mm-hmm. and so, uh, you know, it's helpful for people, I think, to understand, well, clearly if I had a tool to help me with this, it'll make me, it'll either make me faster at it or it'll give me a better result. And, and so understanding that kind of lets them know, well, hey, I, I write three proposals a week and each one takes me two hours. If, if I could save half the time, then well, I mean, I'm, well, I'm saving three hours a week. It's, it's, I mean, if you Google better proposal reviews on yeah, Google or whatever, you, you, 
uh, all you see is that, you know, yeah. save time, save time, we've saved time. It used to take us ages, it now doesn't take us very long. It's mm -hmm. constant. It's just, it's just floods and floods and floods of it, hundreds of them, one after the other. It's, it's, it's all we really hear. Um, and I think that, that that makes complete sense because mm -hmm. the approach that we've taken to this was very much, okay, so much of this doesn't need to be done. Formatting for an A4 sheet of paper or, you know, whatever size paper you use in your country, but it doesn't need to be done. It's just an entire part of the whole process that can just be eliminated because these things are going to be read on phones more than they'd be read on desktops. And we have data to back that up. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to optimize these things to fit on this weird concept of paper. Anymore. Right, right. Yeah, we're, we're kind of done. <laughs> done with paper. <laughs> yeah, almost completely as well. It's, 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 it's like it's used so infrequently. I mean, I, I do know this stat. Um, less than 2% of proposals that are signed are ever printed out. Okay, well, so, that's, that's super interesting. It makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I don't print anything out ever. <laughs> I mean, there's a save button and a print button really obviously on the on the viewer and no one ever clicks it yeah because you don't need to click it you've got the link it opens perfectly on your phone why would you want to convert it to a, a a more inconvenient file format Absolutely, what's more convenient yeah. than a link that opens on open on your tv if you want to i mean it's it's a completely universal format and that's one of the major transitions i think um you're seeing is that a PDF, for instance, is actually more inconvenient than a web link. So mm -hmm. though some of the more old school types feel like people want things in a PDF format, actually, it's a complete inconvenience to have it as a PDF format mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. So who doesn't have a phone? No one, really. Um, so why would you want to give somebody a document that you want them to read, pay attention to, and then sign, why would you want to give them that in a format where they can't do any of those things easily? Right, absolutely. It makes complete <laughs> sense. Um, what, uh, let's talk about what people can do wrong with proposals. What should salespeople, what do you see salespeople doing in proposals that actually they should, they should avoid doing or they should not do? Um, talking about themselves at the wrong time or the credentials of the company or whatever. It's not, it's fine in places. Do it, do it more intelligently than, you know, if you wanna have an about us page and just get out of the way and just shove everything in there, fine. People know to ignore it if they're not interested. Mm -hmm. um, but what people tend to do is they tend to go, right, before you read anything about your problem and your situation, all the things you care about, I wanna just take this moment to tell you loads of stuff about me. Mm -hmm. I um, remember the, the, when I was, I was working for, uh, for actually the, the first, the first UK software billionaire, um, uh, autonomy, this is, you know, pretty soon after business school and they had a required like presentation format. And the first like three slides were about how great our company was and how big we were. And <laughs> I was like, no one cares. Uh, they required that we use, uh, that we use their, the presentation that was kind of stock, but, I was always like, I don't think people want to hear about this. They want to hear about what we're going to do for them. Hmm. Um, so great advice. The thing is, it's all in the timing, isn't it? Because if they had the first three slides that were, you know, your problem, your goal, and your solution, by the way, here's a little bit of information about us. We're the biggest, we're the best, et cetera. That yeah. would at least make more sense. You're at least hooked at the first point. You're interested in the, in the, well, the first and the second. You're really interested in the third point because how are you so going to, solve this problem and then by the way here's a little bit of information about us the mm -hmm. order is 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 different and your order is better and makes a little bit more sense um and don't forget who it needs to make sense to it only needs to make sense to the person that's reading it so what kind of person are they you know nobody really is interested in your company until they find out what that actually means for them so when you buy from a brand that you know you're interested in that company and that brand because it means something to you. It's a brand that you use or a, you know, a, an airline that you like to fly with or, or a clothing brand that you like to wear or whatever. You're interested in that because it's something that's interesting to you. And you, but it's gotta be that way around. It can't, it can't, it can't be us first and then, and then you second. So that's probably the, the biggest thing some little bits um not including social proof is probably the the 
it, it's a pain to sort it out, but it, it's like non-negotiable. You can't not have mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That, that, I've, I've found that that's one of the things that uh, people want to talk about the most after, after we give someone a proposal, we have like a, you know, a link to a, I don't know, a dozen case studies of different customers that are already using it and what their results have been. And each one's like a little mini essay. Um, they dig into those and they'll, they'll say, Hey, well, you know, do you, do you know, do you, do you, were you involved in, in this with this customer who got this result at this company? Cause this was super interesting. And, and the sales rep, you know, a, a small percentage of the time will have been, usually they have to pull in, you know, the sales rep or, or the account manager from, uh, from that other deal uh, to, to talk through it with the new customer, but that really stands out to to customers. I couldn't, I couldn't, or prospects. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. They want to hear about other people who have been successful with something. I think because it takes risk away. If, if there are other people who are like them that have been successful with this, better chance that they're going to be successful. And you've hit on it as well. You said like them. And that's, that's another thing as well. So like, you know, take our example earlier of, you know, a flooring company. If you've done work with another flooring company mm-hmm. and you included that as a case study, they're like, wow, it's not, they don't, they don't just build websites or they don't just do marketing or whatever. They've actually done this in my industry already. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's funny too. If you're a, if you're a web designer for a flooring company, how they, how flooring companies want other examples of flooring companies. And sometimes it's like, well, I have a tile company right here. They're kind of the same yeah. as you. As you, they put in tile, not not wood. But and they're like, no, no, no. I want flooring companies. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, this this roofing company is very similar. Just you know, from from a structure perspective, it's the it's the same sort of area. You know, there's there's um there's two ways you can do the similar you know similar case study. So you know, if we're going to take our flooring company example, and let's say they wanted X number of um, new leads per week or whatever. That was their goal. So mm-hmm. you could say, okay, well, look, here's another flooring company or here's a tiling company or here's another or a roofing company or whatever that, that we're in the same sort of boat. Um, we did something else for them, but they're in the same industry as you. It shows that you get them, you get their world, you, you know, you um, aren't necessarily going to show up in a suit and tie and make them feel uncomfortable. Do you know what I mean? Like you get their world. But the other thing you could do is you could say, look, here's this company that's totally different, but they wanted the same thing that you wanted. So they wanted 10 leads a week as well. Mm-hmm. And although they're in a totally different industry, we've managed to do that for them. So I'm really confident we can do that for you. So it doesn't matter which way around you do it, but try and find some way of linking it back. Because if you can, it just makes it so much more powerful. It really does. Yeah, the, the way I try to do that, and, I, and I, I don't know if, I don't think we were doing it consciously or the way, the way you just described it so well, but ra- rather than title our, our case studies, here's a, you know, here's a medical device company that uses Badger Maps and does this. Instead, we'll, we'll say this company, you know, got two extra meetings per day for, you know, on average across all of its salespeople. Yeah. And then anyone, anyone that has that same goal, I think that resonates with them better. Wow. So if you, if you make your, t- you kind of title the report, the value that you bring as opposed to focusing on, the industry or, or the size of the company or the country that the company is in, um, then, then it, you have a better chance of resonating with more people. Yep. I completely agree. I mean, all of, all of these ideas are around the idea of tailoring the, um, the, the idea of putting in a case study in there or putting in some sort of social proof is incredibly amazing to me how many people don't even do anything. You know, I'd always say a case study is much, especially in the business to business world. I mean, you know, a before and after shot is great if you redid a bathroom for somebody, but it's, you know, you've got to put something more substantial than that in. If you're a solution provider in any way, you've got to be using case studies. It's just non-negotiable. You have yeah. to be doing it. Yeah. A friend of mine is a, uh, is a plastic surgeon of, of eyelids. And, uh, and, and she, she says her most, her most powerful, like, tool to getting people to understand what she does is showing them before and after pictures of the eyelids that she's done. It's just, it's it, that there's no better. There's, there's, and that's basically a case study, but in her industry, and there's no better tool to kind of communicate, to sell, to, to show people what the value is. Hmm. Well, before and after with that is, is really interesting, but what maybe she could look at is if somebody said, yeah, I'm going to swap your eyelids over. Or like I'm gonna I'm gonna do some surgery on your eyelids and whatever. First of all, I'm like, 
no you're not like that's crazy <laughs> invasive like no way i'll put up with it um yeah as you can tell i care about my appearance but yeah, the, yeah i was gonna say so i think, <laughs> I, I think some people feel differently but <laughs> yeah i I'm, I'm more on your side i'm like my eyelids are great thanks but my, though <laughs> my badly made point was you know one thing that would be really interesting is to see if there's probably other people that are thinking I'm really scared of the idea of being unconscious and somebody hacking away with a knife right around my eye. That sounds mm -hmm. scary to me. So to have a quick video from somebody that's just had it done or, you know, is in a, in a hard mm. just going, do you know what? I thought that was going to be really bad. I was super scared. I was scared for three weeks. And actually that was way better than I thought. I didn't even notice da, 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 da. that would, again, that would just tap into that, fear that somebody is going to have but maybe they won't bring up like oh, i'm scared about it you know, yeah you maybe say anything you just go yeah i'll go along with it but i'm not sure so just again tapping into that what are they probably thinking what can't they ask you yeah you know i, I think your instincts are fantastic here and and uh you know the in, in her case it's it, there is this perception that it's like a a big deal surgery and you're going to get put under when really it's like it takes 20 minutes and you're awake the whole time. So I, I think, I think, uh, you know, in a, I don't think she doesn't actually write proposals. She's, she's a doctor, but, um, she, they could, right. I mean, but if, if she were going to, I would say what you're saying is just a perfect example and people can, can really learn from this. Have, if the biggest objection is, Hey, I think this is going to be a big deal. Put a video in there of someone communicating how it, I just did it and it wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think there's definitely, there's a lesson in this example for, for all of us, I think. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, I was at a meeting in London and the guy that I was having a meeting with, he was really, really, really uh, sensitive about his data. He was like, this has taken us years to put together. It's really important to us. Um, you know, if we lost this, it would just, it, our business would be trashed. There's one mm -hmm. copy of it. It's in the filing cabinet. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh god <laughs> i don't judge him but yeah it was so 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 important that there's no copies um but he's like if we load all this data in and you lose it what's going to happen if you get hit by a bus i'm like well first of all you've got one copy of it sitting in a filing cabinet and i reckon it's pretty flammable second yeah. of all um second of all he really brought up a very interesting point and that was you know, what happens if you go and get hit by a bus tomorrow and you die? What, how am I going to get my data back? Mm -hmm. you know, and it, re it really made me think, oh God, how many people have I just happily assumed have got the answer to that? The, the true answer was there was a whole backup procedure that took place. There was a disaster recovery procedure that took place. And then there was actually a procedure for if I got hit by a bus and died, mm -hmm. you crash in a plane or whatever whatever death method you want to come up with for me. but yeah. <laughs> I, won't, I won't get too creative on that one. But. Oh, he did. Uh, yeah, I was just I was He was like, he actually thought through several death methods. I was like, just pick any one of them. I'd die in all of the scenarios you've come up with. <laughs> um, but it made me think, how many other people have thought that question and not said anything because it sounds such a ridiculous thing to bring up with right. the meeting? Every yeah. proposal I sent afterwards explained this disaster recovery thing. Conversion shot up. Mm -hmm. That's that's amazing. And, and, an actual need, but they could never ask that question. Yeah, there, there, there's certainly an, an important lesson for for anyone that sells technology. This this type of thing for in that store. I mean, and you know, or, or if you're just getting a loan from for your business, etc. Like, I mean, I, we one of our lenders. They made, they made us, uh, I have to, there's life insurance on me. Cause they're like, well, if you, if you die, the business is just screwed. And I'm like, no, I mean, we actually, we don't really need me that bad. There's, you know, there's, there's a, a 50 it's people that work, know, 50 yeah, other yeah. people that work here. Like if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, nothing happens to the company really. They just have to hire a new CEO. Like it'll be okay. There's other guys that can do this. It's not that important. <laughs> like, you're, you're, nothing I don't like have the keys to your, to your uh, data, like locked in my brain memorized. And if, if I get hit by a bus, they're just gone. Like, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's strange, but what's, what's interesting is like you and I would look at that and go, oh, no big deal. Like we were buying off each other or whatever. It's not even a question because you, you know, you're probably going to do the same standards. I'll do the same thing. And it's not yeah. a question, but somebody that doesn't know, and you know, you just don't know what the situation they're in. You don't know what their level of understanding is. And this is why discovery is so, so important because 
you will find things out like this. They'll ask silly questions when they feel comfortable with you. Yeah. And oh my God, wow. Okay, they're there. All right, interesting. Okay, so I need to explain a lot because they're not even up to scratch yet. And, and work it into the proposal. I mean, if you, can, if you can work the, if you can overcome the objections that they're not even stating, because um, a lot of people, a lot of times people won't even, won't even verbalize the objection that's actually in, in, in the deep, dark region of their soul. Like, what if this guy dies? Like, they don't even, they don't want to bring that up. But like, if you address it in your proposal proactively, then when they read over it, they're like, oh, okay, well, I feel a lot better about that now. Um, and, and, and customers really do go through proposals with a fine tooth comb. Like, uh, I, I just had this happen on, happen the other day where, where we, we had a, we had a proposal out to this company and, and they, they, they asked a quite, they did a, a follow-up question about some very, very little detailed part of the proposal. And they're like, does that mean that we could do this? And then, and it's like, oh, wow, you, you really read this thing carefully, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's actually really interesting. One of, the, one of the, I mean, I sort of almost, I don't know, I, I don't even see it as a, as a feature anymore. It just seems standard. But one of the things built into Better Proposals is the, is the proposal tracking. So you can see not only basic stuff like, you know, when they've opened it and what they've, you know, clicked on or whatever. You can see exactly what pages and what sections that they've read in what order for exactly how many seconds. And then you get notified about that every, every single time they come back and, and, and open it, right? So you can see very, very clearly exactly what they do. So if they open it up, they click on the price section and they look at that for 14 seconds and then that's all they do in that particular session. Then it's quite clear what's happened, isn't it? They've opened it up, they've looked at the price, they go, whoa, that's ridiculous, bye. And they've closed it. So it then puts you in a position as a salesperson where you think, okay, all right. Uh. <laughs> all right, so I've got to kind of like recover this a little bit because, you know, clearly they didn't read any of the case studies. They didn't really read what we were actually going to do for them. They purely judged this on the price. My follow-up now needs to look very different. So instead of following up with, hey, did you get the proposal, which is always really weak, never do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can follow up with, um, you know, oh, we got this result for somebody the other day or whatever, but it is a difficult process at that point, but at least you know where they're at mentally. You know, they've looked at it and they've closed it down and not looked at it again because the price is too high, probably. Mm -hmm. So you can then sort of tackle it. But then at the same time, like exactly like you're saying, people could look through every single page, you know, and, and look at all of the different details in there. And then when somebody's done that, you think, okay, well, if we don't get this now, we've just lost fair and square. They've read everything that we've put together and they've decided having read everything that they don't want to go ahead. Fair enough. But you know, they're the ones that you can definitely win over for sure because you know, they've actually took the time to, to read everything. Mm -hmm. If you know your proposal is going to be a competitive situation, do you have any tricks or tips to making your proposal stand out from your competitors? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I say it comes back to the introduction thing, you know, understand it. Well, that's, that's going to have you stand out crazy amounts as it is. But I think the format makes a real difference as well. So one of the things with better proposals is, um, you know, the format is so, so familiar because it's, you know, you open the proposal up, you get a really nice visual cover, you click through, it's a nice sidebar with all the different sections of the proposal in, the contents on the right, you put the brand there. It's, it's all very familiar, but it is different. And it isn't something people will see every day. So, you know, even if, uh, okay, subjective point example here, but like, you know, even if Apple were to design a PDF, it's still a PDF, you know, there's mm -hmm. only so good you can make that look. Um, but when you're doing something web-based, there isn't really an awful lot of limits there. So sure. Well, and, that, and it adjusts. And it, it, the problem with a PDF for me is it doesn't adjust to the screen size and different phones have different screen sizes. Are you selling in Europe where everyone's got an Android? Or are you selling in America where everyone's got a, an iPhone? And you know, it, there's just, and there these things all come in different sizes. What if they were looking at it in there? Like PDFs are great on my computer, but like if you're, if, if you, as you said, I feel like a lot of these, a lot of times these things aren't on the computer. And uh, as a result, we're, we're not, we're not, by not get, having something dynamic that adjusts and is, a, you know, browser-based, you end up with an imperfect, something that just doesn't read as well. No, I mean, what are you going to do? Just you're like, here's a 25-page document. You're going to pinch and zoom your way through the whole thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's well, bottom line, it's not going to get read. I mean, I get, I get contracts on my phone all the time. Um, and you know, you just, I, I have to wait to deal with it until I get to a computer because you can't, you know, I'm not going to pinch and zoom and turn my phone sideways and you know, go back and forth. It's, uh, yeah, it, you, you kind of got to do that on a computer. So I just, I just wait until I, you know, I, I leave the email in my inbox until I, but there's a delay on that. Right. And, and yeah. And if you're trying to sell, that's not great. You want people to deal with it there and then. And you know, it's the other thing as well. Whenever you, you know, the moment that somebody is the most excited and the most likely to buy from you is when they say, great, send me a proposal. Mm-hmm. You know, they're most likely to buy from you there. And then if you had the ability to do it there and then and you can just click your fingers and go, bang, there's the perfect proposal written. That yeah. would be the ideal time to, to, to sell to them or to, to pitch it. But yeah. you know, it is going to take a little bit of time to put that together. But you know, the, every minute after that, it gets worse and worse. So if you're then putting them in another position where they've got to delay, even after receiving the proposal, they've got to then start delaying stuff beyond mm-hmm. normal, you know, life stuff. That's, yeah. that's not going to help. But check this out. Last year, um, at least sent through better proposals anyway. So I can only assume with, however many, two, three, four, five hundred thousand um, instances we looked at here. Um, over 70% of proposals were first opened on mobile devices, so phones or tablets. Mm-hmm. Over 70% were first opened. Which makes perfect sense. I mean, we're, we're more and more... It's, an, it's exactly in line with the normal email stat, which is yeah. 70% of email gets opened on phones first. It's exactly in line, which means your proposals are no different to any other piece of email or information that gets sent to your phone. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. So Makes if sense. your first instance is to make sure that it only looks good on a computer, that means that 70% of the time, somebody's going to get a really crap experience when they first look at your proposal. Yeah. Well, it may, makes perfect sense. Well, well, if you, if you were going to recommend uh, one actionable takeaway, what, what should, what should field salespeople listen today do as a first step to get started on improving their proposal process? Um, without being really cheap and saying, go to our website and give better proposals a spin, um, <laughs> I would give you something that you can do without that. And that is, um, well, two things really make sure your introduction is solid, you know, go back and listen to the bits where we've explained this, but you know, in summary, ask good questions, make sure you're digging in, get numbers. If you can, if you're in the marketing or digital space, get those numbers, um, so that you can relay back to them exactly what it is that they're trying to do. Spell it out for them in their words, not yours. Don't reword it. Um, write it very, very quickly and get that introduction nailed. If you get that yeah. bit right, everything else is dead simple. The other thing, nice and easy, provide clear, simple, childlike instructions on what to do next in order to pay, pay and, and go ahead um, and, and sign up. Uh, don't make it complicated. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is great advice. I, I'm going to attempt to summarize uh, the wisdom that you've dropped upon us today, Adam. Um, and I'll try it, you know, two minute summary for all the people that are, that are driving around right now. Uh, so Adam started better proposals because um, they, they saw people struggling to create sales proposals uh, and, and they were actually struggling in their company to create sales proposals the most important part of the proposal is the introduction. And, and that's, that's the message hopefully everyone's gotten loud and clear. Uh, you know, you got to outline the pains people are facing and you have to show that you understand the prospects issues and, and what they, what they need. So the key to this is doing great discovery, asking the right questions throughout your discovery. Make sure you outline all the prospects pain points and what their, what their goals are. And, and if they overcome these pain points, what they would get, um, you know, what the benefit would be, make your prospects know that they've been heard and make them feel good by, by really have done a, have, having done a great job listening and knowing what they, what, where they hurt and what they would be, how they would benefit from this. Um, make sure, and this is a, a problem a lot of people have, don't make your introduction into an about us section. Make sure your proposal does include social proof. Make sure it, it has empathy. So empathize with the position that your prospect is in. Um, automate your proposal process and uh, that'll help be more efficient with your time. Don't spend time doing tedious stuff like 
lining up the text. Uh, instead, you focus on making the content, content compelling, and that, that's something that you get from a, an automated sales tool. Keep track of team performance by monitoring which reps get a higher open rate on their proposals, and uh, you can see how you can help reps who have lower open rates. A uh, great example would be maybe they're sending them out in the, with, a with an email that doesn't have, isn't, isn't written as well, it doesn't have the, as good of a subject line, so they get lower open rates. As a manager, you can, you can communicate the value that these, uh, that these tools have had and, and, and make sure you're getting great adoption across your reps by, by showing different reps how, how others have been successful with something. Make sure you, you conduct a needs analysis during your discovery call and capture valuable information from your prospects. Make sure to take notes during that discovery call so you don't forget anything when you're writing up the proposal and, and write your proposal as quickly as, as you can after that meeting with your prospect while it's fresh in your mind and they're most excited about your product. Well, Adam, this has been fantastic. Where can our listeners read more about you, learn more from you, reach out to you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, well, I'm generally pretty uncontactable and that's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> no, you can, um, you can just, uh, you can search me up on LinkedIn. I don't use it super often, but if you want to send through anything, you can do that. Uh, probably the quickest thing, if you actually have a question for me directly is to send it through on a live chat. So if you go to betterproposals.io, um, you can, that's our, that's our company website. You can sign up for a trial, um, of better proposals there. It's a free 14 day trial there. Um, but if you do have a specific question for me, um, pop a message on the live chat and just let, um, just let the, just put in your question, uh, let people know that it's for me and one of, uh, one of our customer success team pass it over and I'll get back to you. Um, but other than that, go and just give, um, if it makes sense to you and you think, yeah, proposal stuff is, is you know, causing a little bit of a pain, taking too much time, close rates aren't so great, and you think there might be a better way to do it, um, give, give Better Proposals a shout. It's, um, it's 14 days free trial. Give it a spin. Awesome. Well, uh, that is great advice, Adam. This has been a, a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. Um, if any of our listeners can think of other sales reps who would benefit from, from learning about Better Proposals, share this, uh, share this episode with them. Um, if you can, leave a rating of the podcast. If you find these podcasts helpful, it, it really helps spread the word to other salespeople that, that we're gathering great information for them here. Take care until next time, everybody. And Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you.